0: Yo, what's up, Sam?
1: What up, Sandra? I'm just chilling, drinking some wine at 11.15 in the morning on a Saturday because that's just who I am right now. <laughs> uh, I only <opened laughs> a
0: beer. I like, got into my partner's beer stash, which a. they paid uh, a good amount of money for. So I feel a little bad, but I also don't because it's like, why are you buying expensive beer? Whatever.
1: <laughs> <True>.
0: <laughs> so... What's up with you this week?
1: Uh, this week, my shit is, uh, as I was just telling you, I finished Naruto and I feel like this chapter of my life is coming to an end and I'm just very, very like emotional about it. I cried over an episode last night. <laughs> like it's just, there's a lot going on with that show. But my giggle is I've had a lot of really good things happening. Um, my mom's immigration case is going forward. Mm-hmm, I went so to good. San Diego last week. Uh, my friend from San Diego is coming up this weekend, so we're going to go turn up. It's just going to be a lot of good vibes, and I'm really, really happy about that. So it's like, there's a lot of emotions in the air right now, but I'm really feeling for all of it. I think it's because Pisces is coming, right? Oh, no, we're in Pisces. No, you know. No, Pisces is coming. So there's there's emotions out there. It's coming. I'm happy about it. What about you? Hmm.
0: Well, my shit this week would probably have to be that... This week was just, like, really long for me for some reason. Mm, and mm-hmm. my family's immigration case is, like, very up in the air right now. So it, it's, like, kind of, like, yeah. on me. And it, it's been okay. It's not, it's not a terrible week. It just felt like I had a lot of work this week. And a lot of just, like, mm-hmm. boring stuff to do. But my giggle, which i just did right before this episode we or we started recording this episode is i watched episode three of (laughs) rupaul's drag race all-stars rupaul's
1: drag race and and i'm like
0: i don't know i'm happy with the elimination that happened to this episode because Mm -hmm. i was just kind of like okay go
1: (laughs) you really don't have a great attitude (laughs) you're like delusional. Uh. Bye. I think, like, all of the queens this season had, like, really beautiful personalities, and they were just trying to showcase their best selves, but that one queen just wasn't about that, and so I feel like everyone was just like, what the fuck? This isn't what we signed up for. (laughs) Also,
0: you know who I'm living for, though, right now? Aja. Shanji?
1: Oh. (laughs) But Aja,
0: though. That anime look.
1: That was beautiful.
0: So good.
1: Anime. Uh, Wait, what was it? Anime anime awakening i was trying to combine words but it's like an anime you know kawaii
0: which is cute in japanese
1: (laughs) 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 but
0: but no i really love how aja's really been taking like anime and she's just so inspired by it and just like Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: so cute and it makes me so excited for her and i really do think i told you she's gonna be the dark horse i really think she's gonna go farm
1: yeah i feel that uh i'm really excited about it i love that show i like the second episode more in terms of like the actual structure of the episode but episode three was good because of the elimination i feel so sandra what song did you bring for us this week
0: i got really into this Artist on my Spotify Discover, because that's literally the only way I listen to new music is on my Discover, (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: by this group called Maddie Sipes and the Painted Blue, which sounds like this, like, super hipster-ass fucking Angel Olsen or Big Thief. And honestly, they kind of do run in the similar genre of just, like, moaning girls with, like... (laughs) With like guitar in the background but, <laughs> but I really liked them And I thought they were very interesting uh, Sounding It's like very bl- like bluesy But it's also like very electro pop And it's A lot of her-, her songs Really take ownership of like her-, her body And just like relationships And this song that I think really Encapsulates what we're gonna be talking about this week Which is like toxic masculinity Is called Making mm-hmm. It Up and, yeah, we can just play it right now, and then we can dive into it after.
1: Hey, okay, I'm really excited for this. I love new music, and I don't think you've mentioned them before, so I'm happy about this.
0: Yes, okay. So this is Maddie Sipes and the Painted Blue making it up.
1: Take it, I take it with my eyes, should be- So what did you think? Um, I thought it was a really interesting sound that I haven't heard in a while it really made me think of Led Zeppelin and just like the old like heavy instruments and like a really strong voice just like overshadowing the the instruments but at the same time you know these instruments are like blaring throughout it and I really like the message to it like it's just I don't know it has a very somber sound to it but I don't know the instruments just make you feel like there's so many layers to it and just I don't know it's gonna take me a couple more listens to actually like get to the root of what I really want to say about it but first impression is definitely I it reminded me of an artist or a band that I really like and that it just has that sound that like wraps you up around it like you know it makes you really like get lost in the music and I think that's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I'm not someone that's, like, terribly obsessed with the lyrics and the lyricism of people. I genuinely like more of the s- overall sound of something. So, like, the beats, the percussions, the arrangement, the producing mm-hmm. of it. And uh, So, I was actually very focused every single song that I listened to on the lyrics, which I feel like is very rare for me. I don't really put so much attention to that so i thought that was like very interesting that the music itself is so it layered in a way that still showcases the music but the music isn't dull or isn't mm-hmm. uh, in the background either so i really liked this song in particular and i chose it uh, i have other songs that i personally like a little more but i thought this one was very fitting because it's just about this girl and like her partner being like you think I'm making all of this up and you're making me seem like I'm insane, like I'm crazy, I'm not. Why are you not taking responsibility? Why do you keep pushing off any blame? So basically, like, this relationship that's, like, very toxic of someone that doesn't want to take responsibility and keeps putting everything on the woman and making like making her seem hysterical, you know, like hysteria. And mm. that she's just overreacting. And, and I think... Basically, like, the man is never the problem. It's her. She's the problem, which I think is, like, a big issue with, like, masculinity a lot of the times. It's that masculinity really, like, externalizes all of the issues without you focusing on yourself. Meanwhile, a lot of, like, uh, feminine, like, uh, oriented. Uh, fe- Meanwhile, a lot of femme people take in all of the problems, and even if they're not their own, and think it's their fault and take the blame. So I think it really talks a lot about what we're going to be saying this week. So that's why I wanted to put this song in. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to get back to you finishing Naruto because, I mean, I I actually stopped watching the anime woo, years ago. when it was the filler arc with like the, the turtle and the crystals. And do you what remember? That? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right? And she. Put I skipped in
1: all the the, the, the filler. Filter. Well, uh, yeah, f- that was fillers, a filler yeah.
0: episode because, and it was just like an arc about the third, the three tales. So.
1: Oh. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then I didn't really go in after that. I was just like, fuck,
1: what was fuck the sp- canon stuff that you were on at the moment?
0: I don't remember. I just remember that that started, and I was like, I know this is fucking filler, and I don't want to watch it. But mm, so I mm. didn't finish the anime because I was just like, Ugh, whatever. But I finished the manga. And I am so with you in that I was I really put off I literally finished the manga like two years after it actually finished because I pushed (laughs) it off. I was just so like heartbroken. Like this part of my life, like Naruto was what got me into anime, you know, and I got into it as like a sixth, seventh grader and I followed it basically until I graduated college. And it's I love that manga is so long. And yeah. I mean, there could definitely be short mangas, but I love long serialized mangas. because It's like, wow, like this is an entire generation and an entire chapter of my life. So I'm really happy that you kind of just went and rewatched it because I was definitely like feeling the nostalgia.
1: <laughs> but yes. also
0: like all of the little Naruto memes and all the little <laughs> like Naruto resurgence, I feel that has been going on mm-hmm. recently. That just people like dissecting Naruto in a lot of different ways and realizing like how he's a lot more complex than people really put him out there to be. And then also Sasuke is very like anti-establishment and just like those kinds of themes of like masculinity, friendship, family, and just like how Naruto is honestly the best ninja of them all because he doesn't need to fight or kill anyone to be able to have like a strong structured like empowered society and yeah like naruto is always trying to just talk to people about their feelings because they're (laughs) ninjas and all they want to do is fight and kill each other but naruto's like no why are you doing this (laughs) why are you trying to do this to people like think about yourself (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah like he's in touch with his masculinity and his emotions and he cries constantly and yeah i think that's really interesting for like manga aimed at boys and men
1: yeah i feel that like i think um he definitely has some of the characteristics that we associate with the main character you know like he has that arrogance he has the the like power or whatever but then at the same time he has all these other attributes that make him one human and make us able to like empathize with him but too at the same time he's not afraid of like channeling in those energies so he's not afraid of like talking about how he's feeling he's not afraid about breaking down because his friends like trying to like kill him (laughs) and like cut down that tie he's just like no this is like this is really hurting me and seeing you hurt really hurts me too and you know i want to help you because this is we're friends you know this is what we're supposed to be doing for each other and And i think that's like sorry it's beautiful lesson that you know we've we don't think about too often, especially in a show that's like characterized by ninjas and violence and like all these other like amazing fights that are really like well thought out. But the emotional, emotional layer to it, it's always there. Cause there's always at least one moment where they just talk and they actually like lay out and flesh out their emotions and then they go back to fighting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for that moment, it's like, we're going to actually zero in on what's going on. The insecurity, the like, Holds out that you have going on right now, and we're gonna flesh it out, and we're gonna see what can come from it and I think it's a different approach to fighting that not a lot of shows have
0: yeah and i i don't know, I think people think of Naruto as being super cheesy because Naruto it is. Is o- <laughs> I mean, it is it is cheesy, but Naruto really does want to deal with people's trauma and like his own like he mm. it, he wants Sasuke to like i don't know like, feel something because, yeah. I mean, is obviously, like, super depressed and, like, angry because he his family was murdered by his brother and then realizing that his brother was forced to kill his own family for the safety mm-hmm. of the village and then, damn, this is a lot of spoilers, but, yeah <laughs> I mean, who cares? It's been out for, like, 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah, get into it. Like, spend six months of your life like I did to watch the show.
0: Yeah, and... It's it's crazy how much I think I really undervalue, like, the real lessons that Naruto has. And it, it is a fucking gut-wrenching, like, mm. sadness and sorrow on cue. <laughs> I will start crying. Yep. One of the most underrated soundtracks. One of the most fucking... Just, like, um... I mean, it's not an underrated show at all, but I no. think... I, people were always ready to shit on Naruto's like oh yeah, whatever it's like too mainstream but it's like no wow it's like a really good show and it it is so much more complex than I think we really, really give it, credit for sometimes, but yeah. I don't know I think it it does a lot to really, really put to light like what like the re- realities of war like the realities mm-hmm. of like what causes war and it's always selfishness greed. And just, like, who is causing these wars? It's always men. Like, it's always Mm -hmm. these ninjas, like, trying to gather power and trying to be the most powerful shinobi and wanting to kill people in in a way of manifesting this, like, false peace. But it's Mm -hmm. it's not real peace because you're just, like, basically enforcing, like, terror onto people right that's like what madara wanted to do he wanted to like yeah. do a false piece by hypnotizing everybody and like subjecting them to his power so it's 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 a good show and i'm really happy that you really brought it back to me and it's it's something that i think is really cool to discuss and i would really like to go a little deeper with it but yeah thank you thank you oh Sam.
1: yeah absolutely i i i got into it but it was like you know i went through that internalized like i'm not gonna tell people i like manga and anime because it was it just wasn't like i guess i was insecure in that sense that like this was a facet of my personality and i didn't want to showcase that at least in high school and then in college i got more into it i watched like full alchemist with my friends and like i got more into it but i was still like huh, whatever but now that i watched it i'm just like yo this is fucking beautiful like I am so happy I did this, I'm happy I watched this, happy I cried with it, laughed with it. Like there were moments where I was just like genuinely like into it and now that it's ending it feels like a chapter of my life is kind of ending and I'm still trying to process all the emotions that come with that but I'm just so happy to see that there's a community online about it. You know I find Tumblr's where they're like doing fanfics of like fashion no no not fascist um anarchist Sasuke and like- <laughs> naruto's a fascist for being the leader of the like village and just like all of these elements to it i love the political discourse that comes with it and then you know i feel like the topic that we're really going to talk about which is like toxic masculinity and like the lack of emotional touch with men it's definitely portrayed in the show and i think it's just a beautiful thing that the show really helped like you said encapsulate, encapsulate all the like causes of war the effects of it the effects of, like, distancing yourself from your emotions and, at the same time, the power in being in touch with them. So it's just, like, there's so many layers to this show and it's considered one of the big three in anime, I believe, the other two being One Piece and Bleach. Yeah. So it's, like, the big three and, like, I just watched one of them and I'm like, fuck, like, I want to watch so many more now. But, I don't know, Naruto's always going to have this, like, special place in my heart and I'm really, really happy that I finally got to watch it so this week our topic is going to be toxic masculinity so um when we do episodes with like a theme like this i think it's very important that we define it first off so that people have an understanding of how we're going to be talking about this and under what context we're going to be talking about it so do you have a set definition for toxic masculinity and how we're going to be talking about it sandra
0: Yeah, so the way that I think we all kind of see toxic masculinity is, like, the socially constructed attitudes that men are expected to be, like, violent, unemotional, sexually aggressive, and these sorts of attitudes are harmful to men because of these expectations that they need to meet, but also it harms Mm -hmm. everyone else around them as a consequence through these actions, you know, being aggressive and violent, it ends up being put on everyone around you so then there's like women other men femmes trans folks they get all wrapped up in this like attitude that men are really pushed to be
1: like we were saying earlier with naruto you know it just helps like challenge that notion a bit because we have a main character who possesses all of these qualities you know they are very hard-headed and arrogant and in all sense like the the hyper mask But at the same time, they're very in touch with their emotions and just really encouraging others to do that. So I think it's like an interesting manner of like, you know, I can be that person. But that part that you want to see of me is not everything that I am. Mm -hmm. So being in touch with my emotions actually is a bit more powerful. And like he's really about relying on his friends. So like my friend groups also help push me forward. And this is the product of who I am is the work of like all the people who have helped shape me and they help make me this powerful. And like, I don't know, I think it's a very valuable lesson that for a manga or a show oriented towards boys, it's like very interesting to see that you're encouraged not to be alone, not to be stoic and emotionless, you know? There is power in showcasing your emotions and just encouraging people to like connect with them too, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of goes to show the idea of internalizing and externalizing um, self-hate, right? so Mm -hmm. naruto is someone that doesn't really externalize his negativity and his trauma onto other people he really wants to bring out positive energy and like positive attitudes and like friendship and love but i guess in real life like in our current society a lot of what internalizing your self-hatred is i think something that at least personally that i do like women Uh, statistically have higher rates of depression. And it doesn't really start boys and girls, at least biological boys and girls, quote, quote, they don't have differing rates of depression until puberty. So there's a lot of factors that affect women in terms of depression, like postpartum, menopausal, a lot of like hormones really bring a lot of energy onto women that causes them more like internal hardship and like feeling like they are not enough, feeling they are not doing well, feeling that they are the problem in society, that they are they deserve terrible treatment because they're a terrible person. And they just aren't living up to expectations, which is, I think, you know, body image, self-confidence, really bad thoughts of your of yourself Mm -hmm. versus, I think, more attitudes that trend towards masculinity, which is like externalizing self-hate. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm not the problem. The world is the problem. The world should be accepting me because I'm perfect. Or you shouldn't be expecting anything to me because I already am the best. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of other examples in, in that sort of spectrum or th- in that end of the spectrum with like political extremism, like white supremacy or religious extremism is really strongly rooted into masculinity. And there's Mm -hmm. this professor, Michael Kimmel, who actually has this thing called masculinity studies, which is like really interesting because he studies a lot of uh, hate groups and basically Mm -hmm. on the structure of like how hate groups are fueled by toxic masculinity because it's basically centered around shame and humiliation and trauma and how this Mm -hmm. easily leads men to find groups where men all kind of just agree with each other that they are not the problem and the world is changing around them, leaving them out, and it's doing it intentionally because they just don't want them. So I think he has a really interesting uh, viewpoint on it, and I think it's something that we can definitely go into, especially with our current president, with Mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein, obviously political extremism, and there's just so many examples of just like, how masculinity is killing men women non-binary folks everybody so yeah
1: no yeah i was definitely gonna like when you mentioned political extremism it's just like you know we've had structures present where you know white supremacists have been pushed to the the borders pushed to the edge of like their representation and like especially with like religious extremism i think of cases where there's a christian government in power and so muslim folks who are in positions of government feel pushed to the edge and then when they come into power they do the same to the opposite groups and so like now that we have like white supremacists in positions of power they're gonna push other people out of the way and so i think it's like a toxic cycle that just keeps going over and over you know i guess the way i'm trying to say it is that they're all externalizing their hate so like when they're in positions of power they have the possibility to do something they just push it on to people and say well you did this to me in the past so now it's your turn to suffer and instead of saying like you know why don't we find a middle ground about this or why don't we just like try to move past the same struggle that we've been on for a bit it just keeps going back to that and then it just keeps cycling over and over and over and so it's like really frustrating but you know that's just my insight on politics because it's just like wow this is like fascinating because there's a whole history to it you know like we've seen this happen various times and then we don't seem to get past that cycle. If anything, it just keeps replicating itself and like, the same conditions that encourage it to replicate are just there all the time. And, like, doesn't seem to be getting any better. And I don't know what to, like, really think about it, but, like, it's just showcasing what you said, that masculinity is at the forefront of these issues. And rather than addressing it, we just seem to be letting it slide by. And I think that's probably because we have, like, men who are actually just... Presenting themselves to be the the saviors of this and just saying, well, we, we possess the knowledge to, like, correct it. So we're going to do it this way when the way they do it is just further replicating the system.
0: Yeah, it's like a lack of self-reflection and a lack of, like, mm-hmm. understanding what is making you aggressive, what is making you upset, what's making you angry. And it's because being in touch with your feelings is inherently feminine. It's inherently queer. It's inherently, like, gay because you mm-hmm. care about your feelings and you're a man. So then... You're just like pushing down your trauma, your stress, and your depression. And then obviously when that bursts, it's it's in violence because you don't know how to productively deal with bad energy, bad feelings. So the only way you know as a man because you're conditioned to think about aggression and masculinity and violence, you're going to do it violently. It's, there's so many ways that toxic masculinity really manifests and there's so many ways that are particular to specific communities but also things that are very commonplace like all over the world
1: yeah so like right now that you mentioned violence manifesting itself in different ways like i want to talk about two different ways which is also like the internalizing and externalizing of it so an internal reaction to this like a form of violence that we actually inflict on ourselves tends to be alcoholism the idea is that You know, you want to drown your sorrows. You know, you want to like forget all of your problems for a minute. So you go and get fucked up and you get yourself drunk to the point where either you can A, talk about this and it's okay because you're so drunk. Or B, you just flat out forget about it because you're so drunk. And so a popular example of this in, like, the Latinx community tends to be, like, Vicente Fernandez and, like, bolero settings where drinking is, like, I'm going to drink because the love of my life has left me or, like, she found out that I ain't shit. And so now I'm going to get drunk because I got to prove that I ain't shit. (laughs) You know, and just like, yeah. So it's just, like, a moment of, like, I'm really going to center myself in all this pain, but I'm going to, rather than, like, do something about i'm just gonna hurt myself even more and i'm gonna victimize myself and pity myself and lick my own wounds through liquor Mm -hmm. and another example that i think of is in the song you by kendrick lamar from to pimp a butterfly if you listen to the song he's being extremely emotional and self-deprecating because he's like questioning his fame but the whole time he has this bottle that he's drinking from and the whole song is like telling himself that he's trash But this internal conflict that he probably has a lot of the time is magnified by alcoholism. You know, he's just thinking about like all of these things and drinking from the bottle is just like making him think about it even more and just magnifying the conflict to a different extent that it would be if he were sober. Um, And so then mm -hmm. we... Mm -hmm.
0: Sorry, I'm a little surprised that you chose this song versus Swimming Pools. Because Swimming (laughs) Pools is like obviously the more popular song. And Mm -hmm. it really does talk a lot about alcoholism, you know, like pour up, drank headshot drank sit down drink stand up drink you know yeah it's all about alcoholism too and just like drowning away your sorrows so I'm just yeah, a little I think surprised. my
1: approach my approach to it is that in you I think he's I don't know like this is the the imagery that I get from the song is that he's looking in the mirror drinking and just talking to himself and telling himself how shitty of a person he is. And I think swimming pools, like, I guess it's just the beat to it that makes it a bit more, like, glamorizing the alcoholism Mm. versus you that showcases just how, like, heartbroken he is at this moment and is just, like, so hate-driven but towards himself. Yeah. So I think it, like, and then this ties into the other point, like, alcoholism gets you to that point where it's no longer internal. It will actually externalize itself and become violent to people around you. So examples of this are, like, when people become violent when they're drunk, when they're getting in fights when they're drunk, when they're telling people off because they're drunk. And then it also manifests into health problems that have direct effects on other people. So, you know, in my family, there's, like, history of alcoholism. I have an uncle who has cirrhosis because of drinking so much when he was younger. And now, like, the whole family is, like, helping him with treatments for it. And it's, all I think about is, like, At some point in your life, you were so sad that you were willing to drink to this point where, like, your liver is scarred because of all that drinking. And now your family has to help patch you together. Like, it's so, I don't know, it sounds fucked up because it's my own uncle, but I think it's so selfish to a point where, like, other people are helping you get better. But it didn't even have to get to that point. You know, it's externalized violence at that point where you're, like, I'm going to drink to the point where other people are going to have to, like, fix me because I did this to myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and in my family, too, there I have a lot of uncles that have dealt with alcoholism. And um, my tia's husband's like there's a lot of domestic violence also surrounding alcoholism. And yeah, it's just, it, it's something that is like very personally, like in within my own family, I have luckily have never had to deal with that. My father is like very I think he sees the alcoholism in in his own family that he personally chooses to. Stay away from it But mm-hmm. it, it, it really is something That I think Is so common In our community Like we're always Being drunk And Just mm-hmm. like Crying and shit But it's like Okay after that Sober up Nada pasó Nada pasó yeah. And, yo, oh, no, es que tomé muchas, you know? Sh-
1: Yeah. Like,
0: es que empezó 80, pues ya no sé. Like. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's just like, it's very dismissive of the yeah. fact that you, you have this trauma. You have all of these emotions, but it's just like, nah, it was just the song that I was playing. I had a few too many, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's a lack of accountability on your own trauma, yeah. at least with a lot of men.
0: Other ways that it really does manifest. That, I mean, we are, we see constantly in the U.S. Uh, and I've had, like, personal experiences with is just, like, mass violence, terrorism, mm. war, and, like, supremacy. So mm. 96% of homicide perpetrators are men. And then 79% of victims of homicide perpetrators are men. So essentially... Most violence in the world is directed at men towards other men. And then Mm -hmm. the most of the violence directed towards women is also by men. So it's just like I think sometimes we really fail to talk about mass shootings Mm -hmm. and just mass violence and really gender it. Because what is the real problem? Like this is just such a huge statistic that it's like, why do you choose to ignore it? Because it's like, now you're attacking, oh, not all men, you know, not all men do this, not all men, Mm -hmm. hashtag uh, men's rights, like, (laughs) right? (laughs) So now it's like, they're doing the same thing again, they're not taking accountability, they're rejecting all these emotions, and ultimately ends up fucking more people over. From 2013 and 2017, 123 trans folks were killed, and 87 of them were of color, and then transgender women are estimated to face more than four times the risk of being homicide victims than women who already have elevated rates of being homicide victims too. So mm. it's it's like there's so many more things like I can keep going. Like 134 mass shootings that have been happening since 1966 in the U.S. You know, we love our mass shootings. Only three of them <laughs> have been women. And then 98% of mass shootings have been male. So... Ooh we talked about this earlier about Pulse and Mm -hmm. how this person used like ISIS to kind of cover up the fact that they were a regular at Pulse they also Mm -hmm. beat their wife and A lot of it was just kind of this, like, they had a lot of internalized hate. Like, they were a regular. Like, they were a regular at a gay club, right? So what does that mean? That they were probably trying to deal with, like, their own sense of masculinity and, like, their own ideas of queerness that were inherently wrong to them. And then they ended up killing over, like, 40 people, 49 people and 50 including themselves. And Mm -hmm. something that happened to me personally was I went to UC Santa Barbara when... We had our mass shooting, and one of my classmates was killed because yeah, there there was this guy who had a, a manifesto and multiple videos and mm-hmm. saying that he, women don't pay attention to him. Like I'm gonna die twenty two at a virgin, and mm. I no woman wants me, and I only want this specific type of woman, which is like a blonde, blue eyed woman. And he Mm -hmm. had these like really sick thoughts about women. And he ultimately killed six people because he couldn't fucking get some because he felt entitled to get some. Yeah. And and it's like so much, so many lives have just been lost, not just like guns. I mean, guns are definitely something we can talk about. Like, why is this dude who has videos of him talking about how he wants to like kill people, have access to a gun but it's like what is the common thread it's like masculinity and the entitlement of people's lives and women's lives and it's something that is like really makes me fearful when I go to big spaces or when I go home and I walk from the gym and it's really hard I think thinking about like your life constantly and like being nervous and always like making sure that you look really angry when you're walking alone on the street and it's something that Mm -hmm. I'm just so conscious of constantly
1: yeah it's like your your forms of like a defense mechanism that you shouldn't even necessarily go out into the world having to prepare against Mm -hmm. you know That is just so prevalent now that it's like this is the reaction to it and like people gotta you know instead of you gotta stay woke you gotta stay ready you know like you never know when shit's gonna go down and like it's just fucked up that especially a lot of women and femmes are just required to do this as a means of survival you know like and you know as a man it's just like we don't think about things like this you know maybe you do if you're like a smaller man and you're afraid of, like, other bigger men getting, like, doing something to you. But it's just, like, there's always that one threat. It's always men. And it's always the masculinity associated with them and, like, the expectation that they're going to be violent. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's fucked up because it's prevalent. You know, it's not something that we can say is just happening here in the U.S. or, like, in the Western world. I think it's, like, something that we really see a lot of the times, especially, like, in the Latinx community our version of this is machismo, which results in like femicide, domestic violence, and like the entitlement to the ownership of femme bodies. And so um, this is just facts coming at y'all real quick from the Organización or Oficina de Naciones Unidas. So in Central America and Latin America, the rates of femicide are extremely high. So 14 of the 25 countries with the highest rates of femicide in the world are located in Latin America and the Caribbean. So violence transcends the realm of domestic violence, which we typically tend to associate with, you know, any violence going on, it tends to be in the domestic sphere. But a lot of times, you know, violence can occur anywhere on the streets, on bus, at work, on your way to and from work. Women are subject to violence anywhere they are. And in 2012, half of all the women who were killed were killed by their partners. And their partners were specifically men. So this rate is compared to 1 in 20 men who are killed by a partner. So 1 in 20 men, that's what? 5% are likely to be killed by their partner. Whereas for women, 50% are likely to be killed by their partner. Like those stats alone just make you think about like how prevalent of an issue this is. And who the real victims are. And who are the real ones perpetrating this violence. And so, you know, when all these meninists talk about men's rights and oh not all men or whatever it's just like i don't know maybe not all men but like half of all women are dying because of their fucking partners so and one in 20 men are likely to die at the hands of women so it tends to be like more than likely most men almost all men yeah and so another study is from the unhcr i like quoting them a lot the united nations high commissioner on refugees So this is on women on the run. These interviews, it's a qualitative study, so interviews were conducted from April to September 2015 on women from Mexico and the Northern Triangle of Central America, so El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala. So all these women had entered the US by October 2013. Of the, I believe it was 160 women who were interviewed, 15 were trans women, 67% of the women were mothers, and of the 67%, 36% traveled with their kids fleeing some form of violence. And 93% had passed their the credible fear of persecution interview. So when, when a person is detained at the border and they ask for asylum, they're given an interview by an immigration officer. And they have to pass this interview where it's a credible fear of persecution. If you establish that you are being persecuted in your country by reasons of race, ethnicity, gender... I think sexuality is one of them, I'm not too it sure. Is. Okay, yeah, and so um, just like reasons like this, then if you are established to be uh, persecuted, then you are allowed to enter the United States and have a trial later on either at an with an immigration judge or um, with your local USCIS office and they grant you asylum. So 93% of these women had passed their interview and of the other 7% they had all won asylum. So according to the UNHCR, El Salvador ranks number one in women homicide rates. Guatemala ranks third, and Honduras ranked seventh. So there, all this fear persecution in their home countries are established by gangs like MS-13 and 18 Street gangs. And so of the 15 indigenous women interviewed, 12 described physical abuse and 11 described sexual assault. So this just goes to show that toxic masculinity a lot of the times, which manifests itself into like gangs that were started as a means of like defending oneself in a country that they didn't know about. It ends up perpetrating all this violence to women and femmes who have no faults at it and it just goes back into what you said earlier about how the world is the problem and because the world is the problem I'm gonna take it out on the world rather than like held myself accountable for my own trauma and so it's just heartbreaking honestly these statistics like fuck me up when I'm looking at them just because it's like these are women who Leave their countries either by themselves or with their kids just because they're afraid of the men in their countries doing something to them and seeking asylum in another country in the hopes of like being able to provide a better future for them. And then they come to the country with like the fucking mass shootings being perpetrated by men, also. So it's like anywhere they're running to, they're still running at the hands of men who are going to be per- performing this violence on a systemic level.
0: Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> It's depressing <laughs> I don't know It makes me think a lot about Like what's happening right now With like my own family mm-hmm. Because I have a family member That is just like currently Trying to fight for asylum too From El mm-hmm. Because they left because Of sexual violence So it, it's just Really frustrating to me Thinking about just like My cousin And like my family They can't go back And they're so traumatized But like they don't think they're going to be able to win this asylum case so Mm -hmm. they just like don't know what to do and it's like do i have to risk being undocumented or do i risk doing the case but then possibly not winning and then being deported anyway so Mm -hmm. and then you like take all these things in into there's so many layers right like immigration and asylum but then it's also Mm -hmm. things like el salvador is the only country in the world that is outright abortion illegal so if you are sus of like having an abortion or if you have a miscarriage that seems a little too convenient you could be imprisoned and there's this group called Las 17, which are basically like women fighting the Salvadoran government to not be imprisoned because of their suspicious miscarriages and there's this really really amazing special uh, investigative journalism piece by El Farro and They're a journalism, um, I don't know, company in El Salvador that I actually think is really dope. And they're the ones that introduced me to, like, this nudas And they have a really good radio show also that talks about this specific article feature that they did on basically the accessibility of abortion. And if you have enough money and wealth, you can get a private abortion. And if you don't, if you go through the medical system and there's something wrong, like something that could take the life of the mother, they will not abort the fetus like even if it's life-threatening and if you are found to be doing that you can be imprisoned and there's also been asylum seekers in the U.S. from El Salvador that are being persecuted for abortion so it's now talking about again the ownership of bodies and then using religion to make the body of a woman everyone else's personal business like A lot of these women that were interviewed were very religious women, and they do not regret doing their abortion. But Mm -hmm. they also think it's like, I couldn't do it. Like, I was either going to die or, like, I couldn't handle it. Or I already had three kids. Like, I'm not going to have another one. Like, I'm already fighting to feed these kids. How am I going to feed another one? So, I don't know. Abortion is something that I'm particularly very interested in because I, I worked in abortion research and, like, abortion accessibility, but machismo and femicide, femicidio is something that is just so real in our community, in the Latinx community of just, like, the treatment of women. Women are property. My mom's last name is, like, Maria Marta Moran de Romero, like, de Carlos Romero. (laughs) She belongs to my dad. Like, what the fuck? That shit irritates the fuck out of me, and i i really have been thinking about why i grew up way closer to my mother's side than my father's side and i like finally had like the epiphanies like to why this happened so my mom is from mexico and the majority of her family is women like i feel very comfortable with my mother's family Mm -hmm. all of my tias they're like the majority i have like a few tios but it's mostly tias and then they all actually had majority women too so it's just like a very like women oriented space versus like my father's side at least the people who are in the united states they are all men like all my uncles and all of my uncles have like their own traumas from i guess the war and just their own bullshit that ends up like having beef with like my own family within each other there's like their own wives like womanizing and just leaving women and it, it's just so much shit that is just like made me so angry with like a lot of the people on my father's side, which is the Central American, like, Salvadoran side. And mm. now, nowadays, like, I've been getting a lot closer with the women in my dad's family, which has made me realize, like, okay, like, y'all are amazing. like Y'all are such, yeah. like, a strong, great people. And the reason why I've been rejecting myself so much from this family is because I've only been exposed to like the really terrible men who I know that are personally imprisoned, who have assaulted women, like who I am related to by blood. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm like seeing myself closer to my father's f- family that are like femmes, I'm just like, wow, like this is like why I couldn't, I couldn't see myself within this family because I didn't have you in my life.
1: No, yeah, I I definitely think about that a lot too, like, um, I think about my mom and her la enseñanza, the teachings that they gave her as a kid, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: my grandma was the one perpetuating this, like, idea of masculinity being superior to women, and so my grandma taught my mom that outside of the threshold of the house, el hombre es libre, you know, the man is free to do what he wants. And all the woman has to do is, I want that. She has to like put up with all of it. And so my mom put up with like my dad like hella cheating on her. Like I have half siblings out there in the US. And my mom put up with it. But her reasoning now, and I think it's more of like her way of like engaging with the idea of toxic masculinity, is that she wanted all of her kids, because she always wanted four kids yeah. to all be from one man. That's her reasoning to it. But my. I don't know this is me being like I guess a naive like 22 year old like well does that mean you had to put up with his shit for this and I guess for her it's like well I did if not I wouldn't have y'all but to an extent after a while she went through this like you know what no I can make it on my own and I don't need you here to be like being this womanizer and like doing all this like fucked up things not just to me but to other women, because he was going out and seeing these other women, but he wasn't forming a family with them, you know? Like, he'd knock them up yeah, and go on to another woman. Like, it was never, like, I'm leaving you for th- my other family. It was always, like, I'm just in it for the fun of it all. Yeah. And, like, there's this whole teaching of, like, Salvadorian, like, folks from a different generation just teaching women to put up with shit like this. Yeah. And to l- excuse men and allow them to do all these fucked up things and just... Not just fucking up their own lives because like now my dad is like seeing another woman but I don't think she has any clue about his past so he's like covering up his tracks or whatever but is he established with a family of his own I don't think so you know like he doesn't talk to any of us anymore and then not just to them but to like their families too like you know I've grown up in a single parent household my whole life and then I'm sure the same thing is the case with like a lot of my half siblings like I'm sure they didn't their mothers maybe didn't go and see another man and like s- set roots with him. So like it's just effects that they don't think about that, you know, holds true generations past. So like I'm feeling the effects of the fucked up shit that he did and the fucked up shit he did was put up with because of the teachings my mom had. So it's just like there's layers to it. And yeah, the way to respond to it is just there's going to be layers to teaching too that are going to make us all respond to it. But it's just conversations like this that need to happen and like awakenings of sorts where like people realize that hey you know what this isn't okay and i'm not gonna put up with this shit and just calling men out on being fucked up and not actually acknowledging their their trauma their own issues and just putting it all out there for women to make up for or like deal with
0: i I think a lot about like my father and my brother because mm. I'm not there in my home and it's, like, my mom, my dad, and my brother. And just, like, how, I guess how much I worry about my, not that my father is a bad influence. I genuinely think my father, as, like, as as hard as he was on me growing up and as, as much as, like, my self-confidence and, like, my own self-worth was really diminished by, like, his expectations and his Uh, essentially his views on women I still Mm. really do think my father is a lot more in touch a lot more conscious of like what like war and like what violence and all these things do to families like I mean he sees it in his own brothers and that's why he doesn't speak to like a a big chunk of his family too like I'm not the only one my dad does it too so and it's it is really hard in my family to talk about our feelings but at the same time it's my dad is very blunt about a lot of his feelings like he talks a lot about like him being depressed and him being really sad or him talking about like how much he loves us but then it also it's it's hard now thinking about like how he's gonna be enforcing roles onto my brother because like Mm -hmm. he'll be like oh why is your mom the only one cooking i'm like well why is she the only one cooking like can you cook too like i remember being super young like five years old and being like i'm not the only one that should be cooking or my mom shouldn't be the only one cooking you should be cooking too (laughs) (laughs) and i think i really really love both of my parents and i've been able to understand my father a lot more and challenge him a lot more because Mm -hmm. ultimately my dad can't survive without my mom like yeah my my mom and i know that very clearly and i think my dad knows that very clearly too like without my mom this who would starve to death this who like wouldn't know what to do like this my my mom is the one that pays the bills and my mom is the one that does like a lot of like the finances the taxes my dad just like works
1: <laughs> so
0: i i i've been trying to i guess take in their relationship which i honestly think they do have a really strong relationship and a strong partnership because i i think my dad really does see my mom as a very strong woman but he also I think battles with himself in, in his own views. My mom is like such a modern woman, dude. Like she like worked and like created her own life. Like she left Mexico like on her own. She, she grew up with like a lot of really wealthy people. Cause she was a nanny for like the super rich Mexican family. So like my mom was in this sphere of like very strong independent women. And I think it really shows in like how in her attitude, I don't know, you know, my mom, like, yeah. my, my mom is, like, so cool. She's the best. and it's really dope. And I really kind of sometimes I'm like, how did you get married to my dad? Like, my dad is still pretty traditional. Like, my dad is still pretty OG. And my mom is, like, my mom has been the one taking care of him, essentially. Like, my mom does mm. not need him. Like, she really doesn't. So... I really, really think about how he deals with that because I know he knows it. And I think he still wants to be able to assert a certain dominance in the household. But he also knows that, like, at least with my brother and with me, we know who, like, the real fucking, like... We know who really runs this shit. Like, we know it's my mom. So I really kind of want to wonder, like, how masculinity sort of morphs and perceptions of masculinity i mean you're the man here so like can you tell me Mm -hmm. like your own (laughs) self views on masculinity especially like as like a queer man i think you have a very you have a very interesting relationship with masculinity too
1: yeah um okay so i i guess it's like i gotta talk about you know expectations of me being a man first because i think that's what creates the like precedent of how you're supposed to present yourself as a masked person so a lot of like growing up it was just like oh te tiene que gustar this you know you have to be like this, you have to like do all these certain things. And um I guess i I don't know, I think I I have a different experience growing up in a single parent household. So like my mom is the one who does all the cooking here because she's the sole parent. But that doesn't mean she wasn't teaching me as a man to cook and like do all these things. Like I know how to throw down in the kitchen too. Just because my reasoning to explaining to her and she really resonated with it was I'm not always going to live with a woman in my life. I'm going to live alone at some point and maybe with a man, too. Like, you know, that wasn't ever explicitly said, but it was like the underlying theme there. And she's just like, well, yeah, if you're going to live on your own, you need to learn how to cook, too. You're not going to be ordering food all the time. And for us, it wasn't like a gender expectation to the cooking. It was more of like this is something you need to do because you need to fucking live and make it through your day. So this is what's going to help you to do that. So I think a lot of like expectations of masculinity are like being the stoic and strong person. And to some extent, I do embody that just because I feel like I'm not allowed to be my authentic self with my family. So I'm not out to a lot of them. So there's still like certain things that I'm like presenting myself as like being very stoic and like in control of my emotions, very centered a lot of the time. But I think my views on it are just like, this is whack. You know, like, I don't want to, like not talk about shit so I will vent to my mom or my siblings about it just like things going on or to my friends y'all know I'm always venting to y'all on the group chat just because like (laughs) just, (laughs) just because these are things that I gotta do to make myself feel better and I think the only way we really come to an understanding of our own emotions is when we actually talk about them so if I'm not talking about these things you know I'm never gonna have a deeper understanding of what's actually bothering me and what my approach to it is and so I think talking is one thing that I'm i i I like to think i'm pretty good at and another thing is i think listening or at least providing a space where people can actually talk about their emotions just because i feel like a lot of masculinity involves like being emotionless meaning you're not talking about your emotions and you're not listening to other people talk about their emotions either and so i i i definitely still have to improve on that i don't believe that i'm perfect at that and i think that's another thing that like I challenge in the sense of masculinity, you know, a lot of masculinity assumes perfection. And just like you are as grown as you're going to be, you know, you've reached the limit of your growth. And I think a way to challenge that is like, no, I am always growing. I am always developing further as a person. And so that's one thing that I realized a couple of years ago, you know, it wasn't even like, I've known this all my life. Like, no, it was like during college, it was like, you know what? No, the person that I am right now might be who I think I'm meant to be. But give me a few more years where I'm experiencing different things, meeting different people, meaning like having different conversations and living different experiences. And I'll definitely tell you that I've changed as a person and that I'm going to keep changing. And so I think knowing that I am a a dynamic person, knowing that I got to talk about my emotions and I got to listen to other people and knowing that there are certain things that are gendered expectations of us and that they're just things we got to do is like my perceptions of like what it means to one, be an adult and a person and two ways of challenging that masculinity. Cause like, it's just whack, you know, like sometimes I will fall into the same traps of it where I don't want to talk about things, but it's just, I think it's, I like to think of it as a defense reaction to a lot of the shit that I'm going to through. But at the end of the day, it's something that I'm going to talk about is just me unlearning the expectations of how I'm supposed to approach issues you know like if I'm going through a hard time and I don't want to talk about it is it really because I don't want to talk about it or because I've been conditioned to not talk about it you know and so me unlearning that is my way of saying like hey I actually do want to talk about this because it is bothering me to an extent and through talking about it I'll be able to access tools that are actually going to help me grow so those are my like little thoughts on it I, I don't know I feel like That's just me, being like a queer person who's like, you know, the Naruto of my own universe, (laughs) like (laughs) in touch with my own emotions and talking all this shit. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's just. I think it definitely differs if you're like a straight man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, and I think you really brought up a really great point of the idea of understanding that you are not perfect and you are never a whole person because you're always growing. When, and that mm. means that there are things about you that you want to change and you want to become better and yeah. not being ashamed and not being humiliated that you are not the full person that you think you should be mm. and being able to uh, engage with that is very important and understanding how to engage with that is really important mm. to I guess deal with like negative emotions and just like self-image right so yeah. I don't know. I th- I I don't. Know. I have a I have a really weird relationship with masculinity too. I mean, I I tell you a lot. So my my <laughs> dating approach in terms of I I'm very anti masculinity. <laughs> you know that.
1: <this. laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like I I am very intimidated by dudes that just like have this like air of testosterone masculinity, like gym rats and shit like that scare the fuck out of me in terms of dating. I just like don't feel like i i don't know i I, things like that intimidate me i'm like you're like a lot so Mm -hmm. i i i also feel like i've been called a very masculine person and that i emasculate a lot of men Mm -hmm. when i'm like dating or fucking men or whatever and i don't know i think i i I hate when people say that to me because i've been told by like women that like i think like a man because mm. I, like, have views about dating or sometimes the way that I, like, <laughs> think about, like, hooking up is very, like, fuck it, like, I'm just gonna get my shit and my fucking go, like, get my nut and go, you know? <laughs> like, I don't care. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I think about, like, masculinity and, like, the, like, queer femme community and <laughs> how uh, I think ascribing to masculinity is always very... It, 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 it is fitting gender roles. Like, a lot of, like, the more masculine, like, queer women are, like, always wearing fucking hats and shit. And, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, they, like, have a more masculine uh, type of style, and then that means, like, they're the more dominant person. So I also think, like, gender roles really do fit in, in like, queer society and in, in like, really weird ways. And it, like, kind of makes me upset because I'm like, I'm a, I think I have a very, like... I'm gonna be real I think I do have a very like masculine energy even though I do dress very like femme but I also like I think I my style is very very like I will dress very femme but I will also dress very like what is considered mask and like genderqueer or whatever too so Mm -hmm. I have like a very love-hate relationship with masculinity but I generally tend to date people who I I guess I deem as like not having an intimidating masculinity.
1: Hmm, I see.
0: So, and then I I always wanted to, like, cut that shit in the bud. If, like, oh, your masculinity is sketch? Bye. Or, like, (laughs) oh, really? Is that what you think? Maybe we should talk about that. So, (laughs) at least that's how I try to do it in terms of, like, my interactions with, like, men and with, like, friends. And I'm going to try to start doing that with family, for sure.
1: That's good. (sighs)
0: So... I think we should end it here and go towards our bendición, which I think I'm going to help you in this week. Actually, yes, please. So actually. I'm going to help you this week.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome.
0: So, what is this week's form of bendición, Sam? Um,
1: this week's form of bendición is just because I I think our our episode was very triggering and trauma heavy that we should try to promote avenues for healing for a lot of folks and first and foremost healing is not a universal way for everyone there's no one way to heal for everyone so we're going to do our best to try to promote different avenues for that so people will be able to connect with something that hopefully they they like and that they can explore deeper on their own time so we're just going to be putting out a lot of things that we like and that primarily this is mostly sandra's list so this is mostly <laughs> right here i, Sorry, I gotta y'all. put that out i there. like i like to go <laughs> deep in the, in the
0: research and deep in the internet to find things to pick out
1: <laughs> yes so we're gonna be putting out different forms of media and journalistic and articles and just different things that folks can check out and try to understand toxic masculinity and feminism And just, yeah, it's going to be all kinds of really good stuff. So do you want to start us off, Sandra? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, A podcast that I would really love to recommend. I mean, there's uh, hundreds of amazing feminist podcasts, but Mm -hmm. I would really like to recommend uh, Locatora Radio. They have so many episodes about toxic masculinity and like femme empowerment and femme of color empowerment. I also would want to shout out bag ladies who I fucking love. They're so hilarious. <laughs> and they're just like two Dominicanas that are just super in touch with like talking about like these issues and just like the sketchiness of toxic masculinity and just like supporting each other. And like they they have a they, they recently talked about one of the hosts talked about like their goal was to get themselves into therapy and like really like engage mm. with therapy. And mm-hmm. so I, I think the episode is they are really great fun personalities but then they also really do touch on a lot of like current issues and thinking about things in such interesting ways like they recently brought up how the Super Bowl and events like the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. rise the amount of sex trafficking there are in cities so events like that Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. never heard anyone talk about the Super Bowl in that way and I just like wow like y'all are Fucking dope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also want to talk about someone that Patrick mentioned last week, which is this uh, queer Guatemalan femme, which is Maya Chinchila. And she has a book called The Cha Cha Files. And a book that I've been reading very, very slowly because I try to read it on BART, but reading on BART (laughs) during rush hour is really hard. But I've been reading it here and there. Uh, because it's a collection of, like, essays and poems and, sh- uh, yeah, short stories and stuff, is Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde, who is, like, a lesbian, black, uh, radical feminist who whose teachings and, like, honestly, all of her essays and just, like, works and short stories, like, they all really have a very contemporary lens on just like feminism and like the issues that we're having today which is kind of crazy it's like this was written in like the 70s and 80s and we haven't progressed we suck Mm. but (laughs) that's someone else Okay, do you want to go throughout the rest of the list uh
1: yeah next we have bambi salcedo who i love i've seen bambi a couple of times they're trans woman who created i believe the trans latinx coalition and I saw them at Presente which is actually going on this weekend also it's a UC conference for queer Latinx and they they were the keynote speaker and their speech was very I don't know Bambi has a like a history of activism that's not rooted in academics so their speech was very grounding in a different sense that it was just like community building means like feeding each other sometimes but like even if you don't got much it's like I can make you a par de huevos you know like and we'll we'll eat fine like just as long as it's community building and I think just speaking like that was very grounding she has a, a other group called Garras I went to their, their fashion show back in like November so it's just like trans Latinx activism a lot of the time and just be so dope y'all should look into her she's doing great shit trans blessed <laughs> yeah hashtag
0: trans blessed. she's always doing that <laughs> it's so cute
1: um. <laughs> and then we have our, our central american femme media so the one that i want to speak about because i i know more about this one than the rest um is carmen lira uh they're a writer from costa rica who wrote during the early 20th century so like think like roaring 20s in the u.s and like how it was booming here doesn't mean it was booming everywhere else So wrote about communism and leftist movements and was actually one of the first people to call out fruit companies on their oppressive politics to Central Americans and helped predict one of the like the banana riots in like Costa Rica in the 1930s, three years before it actually happened, helped lay out the like conditions which would make a revolution actually happen. And so I think like she's definitely someone that y'all should check out.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So for all the people that I'm recommending in Central American femme media, which also includes uh, Maya uh, Chinchilla, is, okay, Memories, Dreams, and Nightmares, a short story anthology by Belizean women writers. So basically just a collection of stories by all authors from Belize about overcoming trauma, abuse, like intergenerational, like feminism and like femme energy, just all that good stuff. Someone who recently passed away who we talked about on Twitter was Claribel Alegria, who was born in Nicaragua, but was also raised in El Salvador, and she, was she like, split her ashes between El Salvador and Nicaragua. So this is someone who was just, like, Central American through and through, and she was just, like, a writer and a poet, and some good works that she has is the Cenizas de Salco, and... Flores del Volcan, and Cenizas del Salco, I think, talks about the massacre of indigenous people. And mm. she also has other stories of just, just like war and like regimes and basically the. she was a self-proclaimed feminist and she was a very strong woman and someone that I definitely only realized about now because of uh, El Faro and Dichos de un Bicho. Mm. And I really, really want to look into them. And then speaking of El Faro, uh, they're like a news organization in Salvador that I like kind of do. I always get a little wary with like news, but at at least Mm. with journalism, I try to follow individuals. And the people who did that story on the the accessibility of abortion to separate classes and stuff like that. That is a really good piece that I think y'all should read. And look into the journalists that do that. But also, El Faro has a lot of, like, blogs that are also just, like, writers. And there's so, so much on, like, feminism, femicidio, and just, like, Derechos de Mujer in Centro América. And I think you should just, like, look at the articles and the blogs and the radio in El Faro and try to see. And someone that was introduced to me, or two people that were introduced to me from El Faro, who we talk about every single week because they're fucking amazing, is Desnudas, mm-hmm. which is Nadia. And Tierniti and just drag queens in El Salvador who have their own show talking about art because art is exclusionary to queer, trans, and drag queens, you know? Like, what else could you fucking want? And then (laughs) someone whose legacy is, like, still ongoing, and I think you should just, like, look into the movement in itself and in their own work is Berta Caceres, who is from Honduras, and she has I mean a still ongoing trial over like who murdered Berta Caceres and just like her whole movement and the movement that she's inspired and there's a network centered around her and people who are Mm -hmm. still working and doing what she was doing. And I think like just like looking into her and her legacy and seeing like the kind of work that she has dedicated her life to is very important. So Berta and right now, Erika Ender, she just Was inducted into the Latin, was it the Latin Songwriter Hall of Fame at 25? She's the youngest ever and she's Panameña and she co wrote Despacito, but no one ever fucking talks about her. Mm. So, like, she's dope. So, y'all should look into Erika Ender for the music plug. And also, Chavela Vargas, who is an OG. She was like popping in, like, I don't even know like, the 40s and the 50s. And she passed away, like, maybe 10 years ago and at, like, the age of, like, 80, 90. And she was very famous in Mexico, but she was from Costa Rica. And she just ha- she did, like, boleros and, like, that sad drunk music that we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but she did all of this music in the same style of, like, male bolero singers— but mm-hmm. she didn't change pronouns. So she was also known as, like, this, like, queer woman. And she would mm-hmm. dress in, like, men's, like, mariachi garb and all this kind of stuff. And she was, like, very queer. But people would... I don't know. Like, no one really talked about it, I guess. But she <laughs> she has songs about women. She de- basically has, like, love songs about women. So I think y'all should look into her. And I think that's it. I, that's all my list. And, yeah, like, that's my... Form of healing, I think, is like supporting femmes of color, supporting Central American femmes, and really engaging with like thoughts that are never shown because that's a big reason as to why toxic masculinity still exists because femininity is pushed down. So we need to make sure to elevate, uh, elevate that. So
1: yeah. Yes, that was our episode on toxic masculinity. Thank you so much, Sandra, for this extensive list. Because I think it definitely, I don't know, captures a lot of different forms of healing that folks can get into. Whether it's on their way to work or when they have no, like, just time to listen. Yeah, I'm hella Or things they want to read.
0: I have to link to all (laughs) these things. (laughs) 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 Like, and also all of our fucking articles and all our fucking sources. Like, we have, I swear, we have, like, 20 plus sources to this Show For this specific episode And I'm the one that does like The links on our website So if you want to look more Into these people Go to our website And they There will be links To every single thing We mentioned basically (laughs) And it's gonna fucking Take me a fuck ton of time to link everything but i'm gonna do it anyway so it's
1: just gonna get worse from here sandra we're gonna try to be a lot more link heavy <laughs>
0: fuck <laughs> 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 Sam, uh, you need <laughs> no <up>. but y- <laughs> yeah no yeah
1: I, I do but this is also because our listeners deserve this avenue of like different ways to just connect with i don't know readings listenings audio just videos shit that they can see and learn through and just go into their own rabbit hole through also
0: yeah well yeah that's the end of the episode yeah check out our links check uh check us out follow us i guess if you yeah. give a fuck about us <laughs> if
1: y'all if y'all are down like that leave a review i guess take I our mean, survey maybe i guess
0: take our survey <laughs> you know also shout out to the people that took our survey yeah. i love y'all <laughs>
1: uh
0: yeah adios yeah
1: Bye. Stay safe.
0: Bye.